service this morning. Amen. Awesome. Amen. Thanks, Neil. Amen. Good morning, family. Uh, It's always a privilege to stand in front of you with a task of sharing uh, what the Lord has uh, imparted in my own heart. Um, Firstly, maybe before I get into that, I just want to say what a great long weekend it was in Johannesburg. Uh, Obviously, I was reunited with the family for a short little bit there. Uh, So maybe for Dylan and Kylene, um, my family is now in Joburg as of about four months ago, three, four months ago. So I'm desperately trying to get up there, but uh, God has decided otherwise in his wisdom, so we're trusting that. So such an amazing time. Unfortunately, we were about three hours, just a little under three hours outside of Joburg. So yeah, the boys are growing. Kama, my eldest, who's now 13, is now as tall as his mother. He is actually now stronger physically now in arm wrestling than his mother. Now don't ask me now how that came about. So uh, he is very proud of himself and um, as luck would have it, he decided maybe while I'm around, he might just maybe challenge me a little bit just to gauge. So I'm sorry to say that I made sure there is no doubt in his mind that he is like many, many years away from that. In fact, he is happier if he just leaves our house and start his own life before he achieves that. And Tuma, Tuma is growing and he's finally settled. He had a bit of a rough start the last couple of months. Um, he's, such a, he's such a social kid and he's always in the middle of groups and all the kids sort of gravitate towards him. And um, so, so it was rough being the kid that nobody knows at the new school, that nobody to talk to. So he was going, be, going through a bit of a rough time. So he's finally settled. They had a camp in Mahalisbeck, I think. So I think things took a serious turn there for him. So he was being called this way and that way again from that bus and that bus. Now come this way, come that way. So they're finally settling down. God is gracious. So we are uh, back uh, with our part number three of the series we've, or mini-series we've been going through uh, called uh, Community Together. And community called, or in the Greek word, is koinonia. I had to also practice notes. That little word gets you if you're not careful. Koinonia. So can I have to say it in, and break it up? Um, so Neil started us off about two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Uh, with uh, some really incredible lessons on um, what community is, some of the words that are used that sometimes can uh, lose the message of what community is. Uh, We spoke about the difference between community and connectivity. Uh, We learned that communities are the people with whom we live, people that know our lives, people that know our situation at work, at home, where our reality often comes out. Um, at church even, on campus, wherever we spend our time, those are the people that we do life with, people that know our victories, our struggles. That's what community is. And we learned that connectivity, on the other hand, while it offers numbers in terms of people that you're connected with, often those people do not know a lot about us, you know, or very little about us. Maybe they might know us maybe for one thing even, maybe our love of gaming or our love of a particular game, sport, or whatever, but they've never really met our spouse, they've never met our kids, if you're married, they've never met our parents, they've never even visited our church family. So uh, that really kind of 
clarified it for me that even though these things are called and termed communities, um, we, we as Christians have a rather different definition of what that is. Our definition is based on Jesus, is based on his life, is based on his walk. So, and Neil followed up with, uh, I mean, Knowles rather. In fact, it was a tech team. Neil came in and introduced the lesson, but Knowles hit it home. I think it's like an American reference, a home run uh, for Kayleen there. He hit a home run uh, where we talked about the heart. Uh, we talked about, uh, we, we, we're going through a bit of a transition or a change in PE at the moment, coming out of COVID and a number of things. And um, it was really pertinent that we talk about the heart, a heart that often drifts. And obviously when we say, um, I love the fact that um, Knowles explained that we're not talking about the organ within our rib cage, we're talking about the seat of our thoughts, our desires, our decisions, and ultimately our behavior and actions. And we learned that often, or at least over time in this journey with God, there's a drift that occurs within our hearts, where we drift away from our anchor point, which is Jesus. And um, we also learned that this can be prevented and possibly even avoided, but there are certain things that we gotta make sure that we do, or certain ways in which we live, uh, where things such as getting together, Hebrews 10, 25, never give up the habit of meeting together, and um, making sure we hold on to our devotion to one another, devotion to the scriptures, apostles teaching, um, breaking bread together and praying together. Holding on to these things stubbornly could help us avoid the times of drifting. We learned that even if it does happen, we find ourselves, our heart has grown cold and hard, that God can restore that. And I know how difficult it is because I've been to this, I've been through this place quite a number of times in my journey with God where I am just completely without feeling in my walk with God. I just have no experience of God. And obviously that is usually um, preceded by just tick box kind of times with God, where there is no real engagement. So how does this happen? I love the point that Knowles made. He said, first thing is commit to showing up. Show up. I think she gave an example of a friend of hers that, um, that I think she gave this as an advice Knowles or an, an insight that she had. Just show up. Um, I don't want to take a detour now because it's not part of the plan and I'm trying to be mindful of the time. I wanted to share an experience of mine about just showing up, how God works in that. I think maybe I'll, I'll try and be quick. I think there was a time when we just returned from a five-year well, I, I was there for five years, my wife was there for four. We came back to PE, most of you know the story. And it was really, really hard between us. We were just not finding each other. And I think most of you know we were knocking at the door of divorce. I don't want to say too hard in the church. Um, the D word was, was in conversation with respect and with you know, sort of mutual agreement and what have you. And um, God was gracious. I remember. I had absolutely no desire to come to church. 
none whatsoever because firstly I didn't want to because people love and care they're going to want to know how I'm doing and I didn't want to lie to people and say I'm okay or I'm fine because I wasn't but then if I open the door and I say I'm not fine I'm not okay then I'm going to have to go into it and I really don't want to go into it so I remember I used to come to church one of the things that I'm so grateful to God for to this day was even though I toyed with the idea for some reason, God never allowed me because I knew if I did, that was it for me. I was never going to come back here because you miss a couple. Of, for me, missing a couple of weeks, it would have kind of built up to, oh my goodness, now the next time I come, I'm going to have to explain where I've been, what's been happening. Now I have to go into the thing I don't want to go into. And so I kept coming. It was so hard. What I used to do, as soon as the preachers finished preaching, I used to poof out the door and go sit in the car close the door there and kind of read something or and not make contact. So that's the power of showing up. God kept me and worked through that. Obviously, he had to do some, you know, surgery spiritually, really to get, to get myself back and get my marriage back on track. So that was really, really, uh, that's hard. In fact, that's why that point was so... Mm, it hit home for me. So we show up and we show up throughout all the seasons of our lives. Not just when we're happy, when it's easy, when you know we're having fun times. Show up and keep showing up and watch God help us recapture our authentic love for him, his son, and his community. So today we depart uh, from a different point. Before we do, let me say a quick short prayer and invite the Spirit to lead us this morning. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, what a glorious morning. Uh, may you be glorified, Father, by our meeting this morning. King Jesus, may you be exalted. Holy Spirit, lead we invite you here this morning, uh, firstly, to help me communicate what it is that you want to say to us as a family, and not just um, my brothers and sisters here, but to me, as you have been doing the last few days, as you've been guiding me through this message and the thoughts that uh, you need me, want me to share here today. I pray that you speak. I pray that uh, we we hear you, Lord. I hear you. My brothers and sisters hear you. Uh, I pray that, Lord, you, you go exactly where we are to communicate with us the message you know we desperately need to hear. Uh, I pray that, um, yeah, we will glorify your name, God, not just here now, but after and into the week, Father, as we look forward to an exciting week with uh, youth, Father, really just uh, running rampant for you in the, on campus and in the city, God, and wherever we are, as well as we are rejuvenated by their energy, God, to, to do things that we've either forgotten gotten or no longer do, Father, for the glory of your name. We pray for this service. We pray for this message, God. I pray for uh, Dylan and Kylie as well as they speak after God, that you will speak through them as well. We pray and ask all of this in your glorious son's name, Jesus. Amen. So we depart from a point where we know now, as a matter of fact, that the general decline in person-to-person -person, uh, human relationship is at an all-time high. And we know that the hyper-individualistic Western worldview aided by social media, I'm not hating on social media because I'm old, but has actually contributed and exacerbated the problem of loneliness. Now here's something I didn't know about loneliness. Apparently there are studies that indicate that loneliness leads or breeds tribalism, if you can imagine. 
As I thought about it, I was like, oh my goodness, I never knew. When people feel isolated and alone, they look for their own. They look for causes that resonate with them amongst their own, whether righteous or unrighteous, and they commit to that. Because the, 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 the fact that they have to exist on their own is unbearable. Of course, God did not create us to be, uh, to be alone. And obviously we know in South Africa, the African continent and the world at large, the disastrous results of tribalism. We've seen it. So to, to, to take off this morning, let's look together in Matthew chapter 4. That's where we'll be reading. Um, stepping out a little bit here, Neil, becoming adventurous. I'm reading from the Amplified Version of the Bible today. I found that very encouraging. Matthew chapter 4, we read verses 18 to 22 um, as we uh, get into our third installment of the community of Jesus and that we are called into. Verses 18 down to 22, he reads as follows. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he noticed two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me as my disciples accept me as your master and teacher and walk the same path of life that I walk, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left the nets and followed him, becoming his disciples, believing and trusting in him and following his example. And going further from there, he noticed two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them to follow him as his disciples. Immediately they left the boat and their father and, and followed him, becoming his disciples, believing and trusting in, his, in him, and following his example. Let's go straight to Matthew chapter 9, uh, just to capture a picture of um, what Jesus is doing here. Matthew chapter 9, I will read verses 9 to 13. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the text, text collector's booth, and he said to him, Follow me as my disciple, accepting me as your master and teacher, and walking the same path of life that I walk. And Matthew got up and followed him. Then as Jesus was reclining at a table in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, including non-observant Jews, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked him, they asked his disciples rather, why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are healthy have no need for a physician, but only those who are sick. Go and learn what this scripture means. This is now Jesus saying, not me telling you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Go and learn what this scripture means. I desire compassion for those in distress and not animal sacrifices, for I did not come to call to repentance the self-proclaimed righteous who, who see no need to change but sinners those who recognize their sin and actively seek forgiveness. Okay, two passages here where Jesus is starting his ministry, beginning the foundations of the community that he had come to start um, in, the, in the name of God and the kingdom. Uh, apparently what this means, what Jesus 
meant when he said, come follow me. Uh, people that have studied this, please know and understand that I'm not a theologian, and I pray one day God will lead me down that path, but I'm learning from theologians who explain this in this way, that when Jesus says, come follow me, he says, come apprentice with me. Okay, so now, obviously, English being my second language, I had to consult Google, Wikipedia, and all of that. This is what I found. Apprenticeship is a system for training a new generation of practitioners of a trade or a profession with on-the-job training and often some, some accompanying study, classroom work, and reading. That's what Wikipedia says. And Webster's Dictionary says it like this. It is an arrangement in which someone learns an art trade and a job under another. So we have been called into a relationship of submission, learning, living, and walking in the life, or in the path, rather, of the master's life. Okay, there's a reason I'm saying this, because for myself over the last couple of years, I think I have been living in a verbal agreement, otherwise actively distant and removed relationship with the Lord. I, I, I know it should be shocking that 20 years down the line, I'm coming to this realization now, or I'm being reminded at this point, that Jesus calls us into a community where we submit. He says it up front. This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus doesn't paint pictures. He says it as it is. And elsewhere, sorry, I, can't, I don't want to butcher the scriptures now, but he does say, uh, as he calls these guys, that you know, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's telling them, I'm calling you into a life of no material uh, prosperity as such. You need to understand that. Not to say you are now barred or forbidden from aspiring to own and have if it will help God's kingdom and his work. But he was just straight up. Uh, actually, John Marcoma, who is actually the person from whom the lesson uh, has been learned, says Jesus was not a very good salesman. Because he didn't paint pretty pictures about stuff. He laid it out exactly as it is. So he's calling us to accept him as our master and teacher. Let that sink in for a second and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wills with it. The last part, which we all know, he says, then I will make you fishers of men. Now this one I like because I think we live in this... Uh, digital age where we, we know now people as influencers and we follow people and we, we, we are sort of, we, we frequent their channels and because we like what they're putting out. Here's the first influencer, obviously Jesus here. Jesus says, I'll make you into fishers of men. Obviously Jesus wasn't talking about grabbing people, hooking people on the lip or the nose, you know, and dragging them behind you. Jesus was talking about capturing the minds and the hearts of men and women for him. I know that we can, you know, for, for, for us in Africa and the history we've had, we hear words like capture, we think, Ooh, 
You know, we've gone through a process in South Africa where the government was investigating a state capture. So the word capture is not a very positive one, uh, wherever we come from, basically. But Jesus called this group of people, is calling us to be captures of minds and hearts of men and women, to be, to be influencers for him. I like that. I thought, hmm. You know, see where the Holy Spirit goes with this. So, now here's the composition of men that Jesus started off with. Obviously, we know that there were women as well, Martha's and all the other ladies that were there as part of the first group of disciples that Jesus um, called. But he started off with this bunch of men, obviously with special abilities that he would empower them with in order to be able to do this work. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10, two short verses, two and four, to see the contingent that our Lord had put together to start the work of what resulted in what we are today and why we are here today. Matthew 10, two to four says, now these are the names of the 12 apostles, special messengers, personally chosen representatives. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, um, and Judas, the Iscariot. Simon, the zealot, and it says Judas Iscariot again. Okay, I don't know whether I've copied something wrong there. But then the one who betrayed him, obviously Judas, that we know. So here's a bunch of men, obviously we know this, but I'm trying to get to a point here. This was such a fascinating, fascinating group of men for two reasons. Within the same group, though they were all Jewish, am I correct? They were all Jewish. They were all Jewish, but within them, there were those who held two extremely opposing views or were at two extremely extreme ends of the spectrum within this group. I'll take just the two. Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot is, let's see what those who know say. Simon the Zealot, he was part of a Jewish sect that was bent on revolution to take, or waiting for the Messiah rather, to take violently the ruler or the, the, the rule or the reign from the Roman Empire. That's why they, they were basically waiting for war. Those guys, so can you imagine somebody who's waiting for war generally uh, are preparing for war. You don't just wake up and go about your business and, you know, and keep checking the status. Is it on? Is it on? Those guys are training in some guerrilla stuff and how to take down the enemy. So this was a militant individual. It is believed. Again, as I said, I want to be cautious what I say because... I've yet to learn the Hebrew and, um, and, and the original meaning of these things. And then Matthew, on the other hand, was an individual in the employment of the Roman government. Now, I, I don't know if anybody could have had the worst job. I mean, paid, but he had to collect taxes from his own people for the government that was oppressing his people. Can you imagine, you know, if you've seen the series Chosen, he wasn't liked very much. He was a, I don't know whether he was like that in, in real life, but he was a rather odd chap and, and didn't get along with anyone. He didn't seem to mind, but he, he was not 
I think, in fact, his own family had disowned him in the series. I'll have to study this out from scriptures. He wasn't living with them. He was living somewhere else because of what he was doing. So can you imagine the interactions? Now, Jesus walked with these men for three years, and I imagine there's a lot of time spent there. Except for the assignments, two by two, go here, do this, do that. But mostly they were together. Can you imagine the jabs that must have been thrown there? You know, you thieving sellout. You know, you should be, you should be taken out of the city and stoned, you know, as he walked past Matthew. And Matthew would retort maybe and say, you murderous terrorist. You should be chained hands and feet down in the dungeon. You know, can you imagine conflict must have been a part of the relationships here? What is the lesson, though, here? The lesson is this. Jesus did not prioritize homogeneity in how he selected his group. He did not look for the group that works well because everybody's the same. They speak the same language. They're from the same culture. They eat the same food. Yes, they did come from that group, but what blew my mind was this, because we tend to believe that our best relationships are with those groups or within those groups. We tend to gravitate towards people that look like us, speak like us, have the same background as us, the same whatever, because it is supposed to be easy. And we see here that not necessarily. The fact that they were Jews was not a, an automatic unifying point for these guys, because they did hold opposing views on certain things. So I, what, what I believe the Spirit has really settled in my heart was this, that the fact that the people consisting, or the group consisting of the same people had these problems, we are then to expect that us here, this box of smarties here, is going to have problems. Therefore, Jesus didn't make a mistake by putting us together like this. Because if those who are the same, speak the same, eat the same, look the same, raise the same, cannot get along completely all the time, it is accepted that us here, we're gonna have issues. So, what about it? So, this then becomes necessary for us to remember. We weren't called here because we look alike because we talk the same. We were called here to a life of submission, to a life of learning, to a life of living and walking the path of the life of the master. That's the one thing that'll keep us together as a group and united. Ooh, I'm almost at the end. Thank the Lord. So, with that, I want to come to, yeah, this is the last page. I want to come to what I believe is a crux with us. I think the last two lessons, also they've been trying to, 
should display a picture for us of where we're at and where God wants us to be, what God has called us to. So because I have relationships with just about everyone in this room and we talk, and I've been praying and asking God, God, why am I in PE? My family is in Joburg. Why is this happening? So I don't know. In that quest to find out, I've committed to have my eyes and heart open to what I believe God wants me to be involved in and doing in helping his church. Or, I don't know, whatever role that he has for me for the time that I'm here. So, here is what I have gleaned from conversations with my brothers and sisters that is leading to some of the challenges we have as a community. Here it is. Some of us, we no longer want to be vulnerable with one another in this group. Whether there are reasons for it or not, but that's one of the issues. We no longer trust that we are safe with each other to bear our souls as we ought to do, as, as we often do with God. We don't feel that we can trust. We fear that if we were to expose who we are entirely, we may not be accepted by everyone. We don't trust whether with reason or without a reason, we don't trust that our love and maturity as a church, the friendships we've had, some of us for over 20 years, can carry us through our cultural divergent worldviews. We, 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 so there are parts of ourselves we hold back. How can we then be here completely with each other? We don't know, nor are we willing to test and find out whether our personal proximity to social issues and the ills that are attached to that, where that places us in the family, whether we can express those things or not. Things that some of us wrestle with every day, we don't believe that we can share that here. We don't believe that it will be received, we don't believe we don't, we don't know what reaction at all it will elicit. We either stopped or we have never trusted each other with our spiritual struggles and sin. Keep those things to ourselves. We are no longer willing to trust and surrender our autonomy, maybe due to past experiences. Maybe we've been burnt a little bit. And unfortunately, the call of Jesus requires that without us becoming one person, except if that person is Jesus. That's the only way. That's the only person. But God accepts us as we are, as different as we are. So fundamentally, I have found that there is a breakdown in relationships and trust. And if we are going to restore that, Oh, God is to restore that we're going to have to accept that we have to be honest with each other and ourselves.
otherwise we are going to carry on perpetually in the state of pseudo-community rather than the koinonia God has called us to. With that, let us pray so we can have a song and then we'll have a communion. Mighty Father in heaven, Lord, we are, we are humbled by your patience, we are humbled by your love, we are humbled by your grace. As you teach us with love, as you, as you conduct the work of reviving us and reviving our family and reviving our convictions, Lord, about the truths of Scripture, help us to place the trust again in you and in, in one another. You've called us to be a community, not the pseudo kind, but the real the real community that Jesus started all those years ago, the real community that he wants to see in order to influence the world for him today. My Father, I pray that uh, we don't walk out of here with any feelings of guilt, but we will reflect honestly with ourselves. We will make some decisions, God. Uh, we will take a chance and risk on each other again, Father. We will learn to trust, we will learn to communicate, we will learn to submit to the life you've called us to. Lord, before Dylan and Kylene come up for communion, we just wanna say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for what you've been doing in our lives over the last many months and years. We pray, Father, we look forward to what you, it is that you're going to do, uh, starting, Father, with just some youth uh, or other infused energy from youth, God, to help us just be joyful again, joyful in this walk and joyful being with one another again. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I pray that you'll meet us on the way, God, you'll meet us halfway, that you, you walk and work with us as you see fit, as you know we need, Lord. We pray all of these things in your glorious Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.